Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Glad to see you. Everyone that's joining online, glad to have you today. Um, I had the opportunity this week to, you know, spend a little time on vacation. I was down in South Carolina. I was walking on the beaches. Um, and if you've ever done that, you know, sometimes there's things that kind of, kind of wash up. And, uh, I seen a few jellyfish out there, you know, while I was, you know, walking, you know, one day. And it was reminding me of the story, uh, that I heard a long time ago, uh, about a grandson and his grandfather. They were, they were walking on the beach after a bad storm had happened and there was a lot of those, uh, starfish that had gotten washed up on the shore and, and they were flopping around or, you know, whatever they do, you know, while they're still alive. And, and the grandson was picking them up, you know, one by one. He was throwing them back into the ocean, you know, trying as hard as he could to save all that he could. And the, and, and the grandfather was like, you know, grandson, why, why are you doing this? You know, what's the point? You know, there's so many out here. There's so many. There's hundreds, maybe thousands that are going to die. And he picked up one more and he said, but grandpa, it matters to this one. And he threw it out in the ocean. And I'm, I'm just reminded that, you know, he was there saving those starfish. And, and as we are here today on Palm Sunday, I'm reminded of the story in Matthew 21 where Jesus is coming in. He's riding on a colt and the people are laying the palm branches down. They're laying their cloaks down and they're shouting everything. They're shouting, they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna simply means to save or save. That's what Jesus did. He, he saved us. Amen. And not only did he do that, but he, he brought us back from life. I mean, to life from death. And now we're here alive. We've been made new. So would you stand with me this morning as we sing, as we worship the risen Savior? Chains around us, 
church. It's good to see each and every one of you here. And those of you that are joining us online, welcome as well. I'm Bobby Woods, the discipleship pastor here. Uh, Stu already mentioned this morning, it's Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday where we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus came riding on a colt. Usually when you think of a triumphant entry, it came from the Romans because the Romans would ride a big stallion, would ride into it, trumpets would blast, the army would be behind them, everybody on the, on the streets would cheer and cheer and cheer that this new triumphant entry had come in. When Jesus came in, he came on a donkey, not like a big stallion. He came in and there were people there, onlookers, and we know some were probably political activists, you know, yelling, Hosanna, this Jesus is going to save us from the Romans. He's going to take over. And then you had those that were on the side who probably had seen Jesus heal at some point, and so they're cheering because they think we're all going to be healed. And then you probably had a few that just kind of came along with the crowd. And you had a few that were honestly there to champion this Jesus because they had been following him. But I think even in their hearts, they were thinking of a military captain. But there were those not only that spread palms upon the ground, there were those that took off their cloaks and put them on the ground. Now, those of you the mothers knows what it's like when your kid jumps in a mud puddle and tries to turn over and over again, how much fun that is to get that cleaned up. Imagine throwing your cloak on the ground and a donkey stepping over it and going over it. And, and I think about that, and I think those people that put their cloaks down gave a sacrifice. Scripture tells us that we're to give a sacrifice of praise. And I think about those people that put their cloaks down, and I thought that was a sacrifice of praise. That is what we're ultimately here for this morning. We're here to worship the great and mighty God. Because when Jesus went into Jerusalem, he didn't go for his own sake. He went for mine, and he went for yours. Because from that point, that is the rest of his life, that last week. Where he goes, celebrates the Passover, and turns it into communion, which we take today. He turned those elements into something special. For he took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. Then it says he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. So as often as you drink of it, remember me. So do you go in these different communion stations we have around? You have your little bread and your little juice. May you be reminded of these words. Jesus came triumphant 
into Jerusalem. But scripture reminds us that one day Jesus will come on a white horse. And when he does, he will bring victory to this earth. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. We just thank you, God, for being the great God of love. As as we just sang, you're always the same. You've been the same since creation. You've been the same since you brought Jesus to us. You were the same in the church life, the early church, and you are still the same today. So, Father, we call upon your Holy Spirit to be upon this place. May your spirit just fall like a wave, like a river that would run through this room. And, Father, may we have your peace. Father, we bless all of those this morning that can't be with us or across the world because of war, who cannot worship the way they did before. Father, we pray for strength and encouragement in them. And Father, as we move into this holy week, may we be reminded every day of your son's sacrifice for us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
1929, terror began to spread across our country. Not, not terror from a military invasion or attack, but terror that everything that our country knew was falling apart. By October of that year, it was full-blown desperation in many counts. It's the grim scenario that uh, Americans refer to now, our kids learn about in school, that triggered the stock market crash in late 1929, almost 100 years ago, and what we now refer to as the Great Depression. Not sure what was so great about it, but that's how we refer to it. A lot of people two years ago began drawing comparisons to 1929 and 2020 in terms of the desperation, the possible financial collapse, people just absolutely losing their minds and things getting completely out of control. My dad was born July the 16th, 1930. Less than 11 months after the Great Depression began. And, and he was so young, and through those years, the early 1930s, he doesn't or didn't remember any of that at all. But his dad, my granddad, was a banker in the largest bank in downtown Maysville, Kentucky. He understood the Great Depression all too well. And so my dad grew up hearing the stories of things that he was alive for but was too young to remember and it affected the way he lived his life. 
It affected the way he made financial decisions for his entire life. Although he never experienced it himself, the lessons he learned from his dad affected the way he made decisions for his entire life. You know, a lot of commentators, writers now, the books are coming out about it, are making all these comparisons to the things that happened in the Great Depression and the last two years of COVID. The thing that I haven't seen a lot of is comparisons to lessons learned. Because there are a lot of lessons learned by individuals in the midst of their desperation during the Great Depression. I've listed a few of them that you could, you're going to be able to see on the screen. They learned empathy for those that were less fortunate. They learned how to get by on very little, much less than in many cases what they had had before. They learned you don't need a lot of money just to find joy. They learned to reinvent themselves. They learned to look out for one another. They learned to accept strangers and they learned to believe in the future. But none of those were quick lessons. None of those came with cliff notes. A lot, all those lessons came with sweat and anguish and concern and worry kind of like the last couple years have been. For some, much more intense than others. In the Great Depression, some had positioned themselves where they didn't suffer as much as others, and some suffered greatly. But those and other lessons that were learned took time. Took, took time to settle in, took time to work through the difficult because there were difficulties. Welcome to life. There's difficulties. And so we learn to navigate those difficulties, but quite often it's not a quick learn. It's not a cliff notes version. It takes time to learn and begin to know how to navigate through the difficulties of life and learn some lessons that will help move us forward. Last week we were, we were in the valley of dry bones with a guy named Ezekiel. And we were looking at some things and he said, all hope is gone. All hope is gone. We talked about what that might look like. It it, it was somewhat uh, a look of fear of what might happen. Now, there were, I mean, he's in Valley Dry Bones. That stuff had happened. But it was really more of kind of like fear of what's next. What's next? Have you experienced that fear over the last two years? At least that concern, if it wasn't fear, what's next? What we want to look at today is something in the book of Isaiah 61, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Dr. Dwayne uh, Wayne Dwyer said that 95% of the things that we worry about never actually really happen. We invest a lot of our time capital in worrying about things that never actually happen. Some of you remember, some of you that are readers remember the little book that came out a few years ago called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It was a great little book. And and we say, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. But what about the stuff that really does happen? And at least in that season, in that moment, in that time, 
It's devastating to us. How do we walk through those moments? How do we recover? We're in this series that we're going to finish up next week on Easter. We're in this series called Graves in the Gardens that we molded out of the, the lyrics to the song that we sing. And so we've seen so far, Jason talked to us about how God turns seas into highways in moments of difficulty. How he did it for the Israelites as the Egyptians were coming after them. Last week we talked about Ezekiel and how God can take dry bones and put the bones back together, bones to bones and sinews to bones and flesh to sinew and skin to flesh and all of a sudden breathe life into them and dry bones turn into armies. Today we're going to look at a couple more things from that song that are kind of, I think, very closely tied together. The, the song says that God turns our mourning into dancing and he makes beauty from ashes things have happened for us to get to those points to get to the point of mourning to get to the point where there are ashes and so here in the in the book of isaiah toward the end of it the prophet isaiah is going to share some with us and, and he lived and wrote about 700 years before jesus ever left heaven and came to earth and isaiah's entire book could be divided into two sections. One section where he really points out the sin of the people. The the first part of Isaiah, the first almost 40 chapters, he's just kind of laying it out there. He's just kind of going after and just like, folks, here's what we're doing. We may claim to be God's chosen people, but we're messing this up. And and he points out all the sin of the people. And then the last portion of the book, he starts pointing to restoration that's offered from a loving God. This is where a lot of the prophetical pointing to the coming Messiah comes out. And here in chapter 61, Isaiah points out what God will do as he takes the pain of our personal great depressions. Maybe we want to use instead of the word depression, our personal great, our great personal desperations that we find ourselves in. And Isaiah points to how God's going to work at that and how he's going to reframe them into things like beauty and dancing. But sometimes we don't get the full picture. Sometimes the full real picture is hard to see. For instance, look at this picture, if you would, for just a minute. What do you see there? Well, a coat, Marcy. How many of you saw a skull? How many of you see Santa Claus? But you, but you got to look really quick because I bet on the first look, even if you found Santa Claus, the first look for a lot of us is that's a skull. What's he showing a skull in church for? Now, some of you are saying, what's he showing Santa Claus in church for? But that's not the point here. We're just talking about how our mind plays tricks on us. And sometimes if we're not really focused, we can see things in completely the wrong light. And I, so I think what we're going to see here in Isaiah, I hope what we're going to see here in Isaiah is God do some, do some changing, gives us some things to work through our difficult times and find seasons of beauty and seasons of dancing. Okay. Begin here. Look at, look at Isaiah 61, starting the very first verse. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. 
because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, and to release from darkness for the, and release from darkness for the prisoners. God gives grace. But do we really understand what grace is? If I were to walk down the streets of any city, any city in the central United States, that if I asked the question, do you believe in God? The overwhelming response would be to the affirmative, not 100%, but in this part of the world, it would be affirmative. But if I, if I walk down the same streets, and instead of asking that question, I ask the same people, what is grace? You know what the number one answer would be? It's what we say right before we eat. That's our understanding of grace. It's a form of a prayer that we say, thanking God for food. I'm not saying don't, don't, don't do that. But that's not grace. That's just a prayer that has been given the title grace. Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God sends unmerited favor through, how did we get that unmerited favor? Through his son, Jesus Christ who being equal with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and came to earth and took on the form of a servant and died a painful death on a cross. That's how we got grace. And that's what grace is. Grace is us deserving to be punished and someone else taking the punishment for us. It's unmerited favor. So when we look at these, just these first two verses of Isaiah 61, what do we see there? How does God begin to share grace? Look what he says there. He gives us three things just in those first two verses. He starts off and he says, he binds the brokenhearted. I don't even need to ask how many of you have been brokenhearted because it would be a hundred percent show of hands. If you were honest, maybe it was just a a school day's crush that didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to, but maybe it was something much more serious. Maybe it was a a job that you just loved and it was snatched away from you. Maybe it was much more serious than that. Maybe it was a long-term marriage relationship that didn't work out. Or maybe it was a child that didn't turn out as you had prayed for and hoped. Or maybe it was someone that you really cared deeply for that died far too soon and left you brokenhearted. And here's what Isaiah says. He'll bind up the brokenhearted. See, everything that the Jewish people loved when he's writing this is about to change. There's another time of captivity coming, another time of bondage coming. The temple's going to be destroyed. Would God be their helper in that day? And his message is here. He will be there to bind up the wounds of your heart because he cares. He knows what you're going through, and he'll be there for you. If we can get past those first four words in Scripture in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God. And if we can get to a place that we're comfortable with those words, that we believe that there is a God, that he's the omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing God, that he's been there, he can then wouldn't that God 
know what we're going through. Do you think there's ever a moment when, when God's up in heaven and something happens, something horrific happens in your life and, and the first thought that goes through God's mind is, I didn't see that coming? No. He knows and he cares and he will bind up the brokenhearted. <laughs> Sometimes our broken heart makes us think there's no way God could love us. Sometimes when we're going through difficulties that are just part of being in this world, in this time, in this broken world, and we put all the blame on us, and sometimes it's our fault. We do, you know, some things, bad things happen because sometimes we do bad things. We make stupid choices. But a lot of things we deal with are just because it's life. And God understands and doesn't blame and still loves we wonder sometimes will he could God possibly love me is there any chance he's going to take me in when life's over and it's time for eternity because I've done a lot of bad stuff those are the words of Satan trying to tear you down not the touch of God trying to bind your heart and bring you back into a great place the second thing he says here in these first two verses is he'll set the captives free now we hear a lot we hear a lot these days about this this terminology the marginalized and it can be applied to people who are have socioeconomic issues, uh, people uh, from different places in the world, different races, and we talk and elderly, whatever people that are marginalized by society, and that's kind of the catchphrase today. But for the people of Judah, deportation meant living as marginalized citizens among foreign pagan people. That's what was going to be happening. They were going to be exiled. That's what that means, right? They went from owners to renters, from the majority to the minority, from being central to being marginalized. Their sense of belonging was taken away, much like many of the Ukrainian people are feeling today. Much like many people around us have felt figuratively. What about this idea of figurative slaves or figurative captives? Not, not in jail or not handcuffed, not tied to something, but still in their own prison, their own slavery. Can God rescue them? I think that's what Isaiah is talking about here partially when he says he will set the captives free. He, 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 could he be speaking of the captivity of sin? Because when it comes to the issue of sin, we're all captives, right? We're all held captives. We are slaves to the devil, says God's word, but not once we're set free. Mm -hmm. Amen? Not once we're set free. It's one thing to say over and over again when we we are dealing with with recovery groups here and in other places and talking to me. It's like, I I, want to say to the person who's addicted to a substance, yeah, we've got to deal with that. That's a problem. But don't wear that label because every person on the planet is in recovery. A lot of them just don't realize it because we're all addicted to sin until we ask for help. 
until we surrender, until we're set free. The last thing he says he'll do here, and we got to move on. Man, it's good stuff here. We will restore, or he will restore what has been taken away. There was this, there was this really neat thing in, in, in the history of that day that God said, called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. It was the provision of the law that every 50th year, every 50 years, all slaves would be set free, all debts would be canceled, all land sold or taken for the debt would be returned to the original owner. It's like having all your credit cards paid off today and your mortgage and your car uh, payments. All of it gone. Man, wouldn't it be cool if that 50th year was like tomorrow? Yeah, but there's another date that comes up this week that we won't even talk about that kind of gets tied to that whole idea. Now it's like we still got that stuff. But what, G, what, what, what Isaiah's talking about is in their time that God's just going to take it, It's a global thing. Think of it not as much in the specifics of any specific thing, but that God is going to make all things right. Isn't that a, isn't that a kind of a pleasant thought, proposition, that if right now, whatever, if God would just be able to make all things right and, and do it right now? Because that's how we want it, right? Right now. Right now. But what Isaiah starts off this passage by saying is, God gives grace unmerited favor things that we don't deserve god's a loving god who loves us in spite of us the second thing he does is he gives comfort and as he gives comfort he turns mourning into dancing in verse two the second part of verse two says he's to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to what comfort all who mourn to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah saying there's a God who recognizes when you're not just hurting, you're mourning. And isn't there a difference between hurting and mourning that it, it kind of is like, it, it's like hurting on steroids. It's like it's gotten to the point where we're almost out of control. We're so deep in our mourning. In, in a blog that was, that, that is entitled The Unexpected Journey into Grief. Uh, there is a lady who just is identified as Julie who wrote this. I, I thought this was interesting. She said, something I've noticed is that I now have a more sensitive radar to pain. Can you relate to that? You've been through something and all of a sudden now, whatever it is that you've been through, now your, your radar is up when you see other people that are going through it. She said, my own and those around me. Along with that is a lack of capacity to enter in. I know this is a season of extreme rawness and healing for my own heart. Now, when I read that, I, I went back and looked, because those two things like are almost, it, it seems like they're almost in opposition. Because when I think of being everything laid open raw, that doesn't seem very cathartic. But what it says, she said, of this rawness and healing of my own heart. Sometimes things have just got to be ripped open and cleaned out so we can actually heal. And I find I must hand others pain over to Jesus. 
even as I give him mine. I feel like my perspective on my role in the process is being put in its proper place. He may choose to use me to help bear the load, but he's the one who has to do the miracle working. God might choose any of us to help bear someone's load, but he's the one who takes it away. Mourning is very, very real. Grief is very, very real. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like those who have no hope. What he did not say was don't grieve. He said, but in the midst of your grief, there is hope. And then he goes on in the rest of that passage of Scripture to define our hope being found in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But for us to be comforted, we have to be willing to be comforted. We have to be willing to let others around us and God help take our mourning away. And unfortunately, sometimes we refuse to be comforted. That's not new. That's not new. In in fact, in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, Jacob refused to be comforted. Listen to what it says in Genesis 37, starting verse 34. Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, which was a symptomatic or or symbolic, excuse me, uh, of I'm in mourning. I want everybody to see I'm in mourning. I'm already dressed in sackcloth. And he mourned for his son for many days. Then look at verse 35. All of his other sons and daughters came to him to comfort. Everybody was there. But look at the next phrase. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Like, we've done all we can do. We've done all we can do. We've loved on you. We've been there for you. And you're just refusing to be comforted. We've got to open ourselves up to let God do some amazing things. We have, Kim and I have dear friends over in southern Indiana uh, named Bill and Love Lockman. Some of you ladies especially might know, remember Love. She spoke at a ladies event here. This week... They lost their second adult son in three years because of drugs and depression. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And on one hand, they're devastated, but they are so struggling. You read the things that they're writing, and I'm just like reading the, the things of trusting God in the middle of this and things that they're doing, and I'm like... How are you doing that? Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah. You've put your faith in him. Oh, yeah. You both, both Bill and Love came from Christian families and it's been passed down. And they're trusting the one who said he could be trusted. Even in the midst of their own unimaginable pain of losing a son and another son they're trusting in the one who gave his son. And that's how they're getting through. 
Isaiah says that God will give grace and he will give comfort. He also says that God will give transformation. Look at verse 3. He said, and then, and here's it, then I will provide for the, or he will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of what? Beauty instead of ashes is what we sing about when we sing graves in the garden. Beauty from ashes. He'll give beauty from ashes. He'll give the oil of joy instead of mourning. All right, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Beauty from ashes. And, and so you just think of the, you know, ashes, you, you just think of the worst, everything that is in this, that was this building, was this place, was this whatever has been so, it's so destroyed that you can't even see the structure left. It's nothing but ashes. That's not very pretty. But he said, I'll restore beauty. I'll make beauty from ashes. I'll come around you in such a way that out of of those moments that you will learn lessons that you would not, you would not desire, you would not go out and look for, but I will do things for you that will bring beauty out of the moment. It's New Testament phraseology. Paul said, work all things out for the good. Beauty from ashes. I got to tell you about something I'm so excited about because you guys get to be a part of it. It's going to be so cool. Now, the downside is why we're doing it. Drug overdoses are still raging, raging, just recently, even in almost every week. And we're doing everything we can, but there's this really cool idea that's been brought to our attention. And so over on our green space, because it's not just the addict, it's the family and everybody else that suffers and that, that feels like their world is ashes. Over in the green space this summer, we're going to be building a wall that we're calling our Beauty from Ashes Garden. It's going to be a simple wall, a memorial wall, and when we lose someone in our community, surrounding community, to an overdose death, we're just going to, for the family, put a little plaque on the wall. And then here's where you guys come in. There's going to be a couple benches there for people just to have a place that they can come and sit in peace and quiet and pray or cry or whatever it is that they need to do and we've got a safe place it's going to be a little bit it's going to be over in the green space but not deep in the woods so that anyone that is over there alone doesn't have to feel uh or unsafe that it's going to be safe but it's secluded at the same time and the benches we're going to do we're going to make we're going to have made for us out of bottle caps and so starting today it's time to start saving your bottle caps and we used to do that for a while and taking the Serenity Center and, and Dr. Pippen got that going and, and got some things done with that. But now we're going to do it. And so just bring your bottle caps. Uh, ideally, we'd love it if you'd like put them in Walmart bags and not just bring the bottle caps and pitch them all. But all the bins out in the, in the foyer for the next however long, we're going to collect. Now, here's where the cool thing is. It also is going to involve our kids because Tiffany is going to use some of the elementary kits because one of the things we have to do is separate the bottle caps, different kinds and different things like that. Now, if you want to give them a head start and do your own separation, they would appreciate that, okay? Uh, because it's, an, it's 200 pounds of bottle caps per bench, all right? We got to get a lot of bottle caps, all right? But while, while our elementary kids are separating bottle caps, while they're reminding you guys, their parents, grandparents, to bring them in, we're going to be able to use that moment to remind them what this garden is being built for and do some drug education with our elementary kids so hopefully their families don't have to go through the pain. That whole thing, I think, is going to be a process 
and making beauty from ashes. From desperate times, God is going to be able to bring some healing. And this is not just for our church. This is for our community. And, and, and the good thing is some, some people have come alongside and partnered. And uh, there's some funding and some other things that are going to go on. And it's going to be a community-wide, let's bring healing. Let's bring beauty from ashes. Because that's what God says. Joy instead of mourning. You know, there's all kinds of mourning. When we talk about the drug epidemic, a lot of that people do bring upon themselves. And it's a difficult, difficult thing. It's, it's a struggle. It's not easy. People say, well, just tell them to pray and ask God to take it away. I'm going to tell you something that you need to know. And some of you guys in here pray a lot. But I am convinced that addicts are the most praying people on the planet. Because none of them want to be addicts. But what about your loss? It has nothing to do with addiction. I love that, and some of us don't know, and I was writing this, we've got to remind everybody, we've got a memorial garden right in the middle of the church. Right out in the middle, if you haven't seen it, go out to the coffee bar and turn left and walk right down. There is a huge, huge cross that Doc Jones made and a crown around it that John Lewis made. And there's some stones. First big stone reminds us of all of our charter members of the church. And then you can get a memorial stone for your loved one. And there's benches out there. If you want a place to come and sit during the week, you can come. Or just every Sunday when you walk by. To remember, because that's part of how God brings joy in the midst of mourning is by reminding us that there is hope in Jesus and that we mourn together, that we get better together. And then he says he brings praise instead of despair. Instead of despair. You know, to get through a situation is a struggle. I don't care what the struggle is. To get through a situation is a struggle. And here's the reality. Everyone wants to be the butterfly. Only a few people would want to be the caterpillar, but nobody really wants to be stuck in the cocoon. But that's where the growth takes place. That's where the metamorphosis actually takes place. Because by the time we see the caterpillar, or see the butterfly, the metamorphosis has taken place. The change. And God says, I will help you change. I'll transform what's going on in your life. Let me hurry up and finish here. All right. The next section, he said, God will give restoration. See, transformation, I think, and what he's talking about here, Isaiah's talking about, is individuals. I'm going to come into your individual situation and bring transformation for you. But on the bigger scale, where he's talking here to these people, these people in this time that's 700 years before Jesus, he's talking about restoration, and that's more of a, I'm going to restore a people. Verse 4 says, they will build the ancient, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Stranger, and some of this devastation hasn't even happened because it is prophecy. He said, when he's saying they will rebuild things that have been devastated, it means that the things have to be devastated. All right? We got to understand that. We live in a broken world. Things are going to go wrong. But God will restore them. And verse 5 says, Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. See, I think, as I said, this is a corporate move to bring restoration to an entire group of people. And God's using Isaiah to remind these people that no matter what happens, I will restore you to a place of healing and total restoration. And it helps them regain respect, position, confidence. And the God that they worship. But what's that restoration look like? 
When looking for value in, in furniture, if you're a picker, and if you are, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when, when you're looking for value, the true value in an old chair is in one that has been restored to its original condition versus one that has been reformed or made to look like the original chair. The real value is in the original. That's why restoration is more important than reformation. That's why it's more important to be restored than reformed. Because when we are restored, when, when we are restored, we are in our original condition. God says, I want to make all things new. Behold, the old is gone and all things are made new. God's desire is to restore individuals and churches to their original created condition. It's going to be the same kind of restoration that the Israelites... It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the Bible. The same restoration that the Israelites experienced in the time of Deborah. They were making some really bad decisions. Well, that's all they were doing all through the majority of the Old Testament is making bad decision after bad decision, being restored, making another bad decision. But this particular time, it led to this cycle that was depressing, this desperation, this 1929, the world is going to collapse. This 2020, we're all going to get sick and die. Desperation. That's what they were experiencing. But there's still restoration. And it happened this way. Think ABCD, okay? First, they felt abandoned. They felt abandoned. You know, we've, we've had that feeling. We know that feeling. They felt beat up. I'm, most of us have had that feeling of not physically, although maybe for some, but figuratively, we've all had that feeling of beaten up, being beaten up. And then they cried out. They cried out. I'm confident that every one of us in our own ways have had seasons where we cried out cried out in times of feeling abandoned and beaten up and then the d they received deliverance now your your deliverance will ultimately come in your relationship with jesus even if it doesn't come in the way you've been asking for just because god doesn't answer our prayers the way we pray them doesn't mean he's not answering The last thing we need to see here and get our minds around is God gives us joy, everlasting joy. Look at verse 6. And you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in the riches you will boast. Instead uh, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will receive... You will rejoice in your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion of land. Everlasting joy will be yours. See, this idea of a double portion would have been completely understood by the readers or the hearers of this originally because in that Jewish heritage, the firstborn received a double portion of the inheritance when dad was gone. That was just the way it was. Not, you know, they, they received a double portion of it and everybody else got the rest. And Isaiah here is beginning to point to the inheritance, not just of the promised land, but of the Messiah. 
And when the Messiah comes, everything is made new again. And you will, because who's the oldest son in our family? Who's the oldest son in our family? The Messiah that's come, that came and is coming again. And we then get to share in his inheritance. The Messiah that comes that way. Peter put it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you love Jesus? Most of us would say yes. Do you love Jesus? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled in an inexpressible and glorious what? Joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Let's put a bow in the package and wrap this thing up because I think while this is prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus ever came to earth in human form, I think we need to fast forward 700 years to see how this prophecy comes together. Because if you fast forward 700 years or in your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus is now here. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And verse 17 says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. All right. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Get this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I think I've heard that today that's what we did Isaiah said here's how he's going to turn morning to dancing someone is coming who's going to turn the morning into dancing someone is coming who's going to make beauty from ashes and you fast forward 700 years and what does Jesus say exactly what Isaiah had prophesied the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor sounds great doesn't it sounds awesome doesn't it sometimes i really struggle to preach about the miracles of jesus that sounds so good sick made well blind given sight dead being raised to life But the reason I struggle is I understand that the reality is not everybody gets the miracle here. Not everybody overcomes the odds. Not everybody beats cancer or regains sight or lives well into their 90s or later. Life doesn't always work out the way we want it to. And so... I struggle sometimes preaching about these wonderful things that God can do and I've seen do and and not being able to answer, well, why didn't he do it for me? It's a struggle. I'm not suggesting that if you suffered some kind of loss that you'll never be happy again. 
because some of us just have to hold on to a belief that there's joy believing that while we may not find restoration here that there is a there and we've just got to live for the there it's hard, it's struggle but you can still dance even with tears in your eyes you can still have joy even with sorrow on your face and sometimes after serious loss and intense pain God brings something so beautiful into our lives that much of the sorrow fades away But I think it's also true. Morning to dancing. Sometimes we don't get to dance until heaven. So so as we deal with this, that's the bottom line. Sometimes we don't get to dance until heaven. (laughs) But oh, what a dance it's going to be. Oh, what a dance it's going to be. And God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. So let's dance. Would you guys stand with me? Maybe today you need to accept the one who can bring beauty from your ashes, your personal situation. Maybe you need to get in touch with and connect with the one who can turn your personal mourning into dancing. That person is Jesus. We always want to point you to Jesus. Jason's back at the decision room. Some other people will be there. If you need to make a decision, then please go talk to someone and we'll help walk you through that. But for right now, let's just dance. Let him turn our graves into gardens.
stop out at the I'm New Wall. We've got a gift for you out there. Love to get to meet you, get to know you. Uh, ladies, especially young moms, uh, Rise Up is this week. That's our ministry to moms of preschoolers. Uh, there's a morning group on Tuesday morning and evening group on Thursday evening, both of them this week, uh, right out here in the Common Grounds area. Uh, and encourage you to come to that. Uh, marriage seminar is coming up soon, the end of the month. You can sign up or get more details for that in the next step room, uh, which is right over through that door or around in the lobby through there. You can also ask Bobby and others in there more about Pathways, uh, which is coming up uh, about a week and a half after Easter, and which brings us to next Sunday, or next, this week. This week is it. It's showtime, gang, all right? And so Friday night, 7 o'clock, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, all three on Sunday. Be sure if you haven't done some, done so, pick up the bumper sticker, do it for a week, and then take it off next Monday. Uh, there's these cards. There's still some cards around. Get them, take them, uh, put them in your purse, your wallet, hand them. Invite people this week to one of our five services. And if you can attend a service and help us for a service, Brett needs all kinds of greeters. Uh, parking lot people, ushers, uh, people at the tent out front just waving signs. We're glad you're here. If you can help us out for at least one service next weekend, please see Brett out in the lobby and just let him know, hey, I'm, I'm good. I can help out Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, whenever. Let him know. Uh, and let's make Jesus famous this next weekend, all right? Let's get out of here. Go love God, love people, and change the world.